And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus, the steward took away the portion of the delicacies and the wine that they were drinking and gave them vegetables. I can't preach already because the message hasn't started. Maybe the world would start doing what the church is doing if the church started looking like the blessings and favor of God on our life. He took away what you're going to eat what the Christians eat because they look amazing. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, at the end of the days, when the king had said that he should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them. Among them, all none was found like Daniel, Hanai, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them. Watch this. Where's my Grant Cardone at? He found them 10x better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus, Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. King Cyrus was the third generation of kings in that land. Hey, let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful for this moment in your presence. You are a mountain moving God. There is no barrier, God, that can keep you out. God, in this moment, you're doing miracles on our behalf. God, you're moving like only you can. God, we pray in this moment that you would speak to us, transform us, take us one step closer to the plan, the purpose that you have. Anoint me to speak. Anoint us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, somebody say amen. 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 The uh, house that me and my wife live in, it backs a whole bunch of woods, uh, which is great because you got a lot of privacy. It gets a little creepy at night, though, where you hear all types of random animals and they're screaming for their life and somebody's cat just got eaten and it's just like, I mean, I'm not normally afraid of the dark, but at night you just hear some sounds that, that come out of those woods that you're just like, I have no intentions of walking back there and finding out what just happened. But it kind of creates this oasis that is just beautiful in spring, summer, and fall. You have these massive trees and some of them bloom and we look out of our back window and it's just like, my God, this is amazing. Look at creation. The only problem is, come about fall, from about November all the way up until March, those leaves start falling off that tree. And what was about nine months of this beautiful oasis is about three months of, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? We have the ugliest view out of our back door. All you see is broken branches and half-dead trees. And it's amazing what you can see when the leaves aren't covering everything up. Now, on the side of our house, we live in one of those neighborhoods where, where you don't talk to your neighbors unless you want to. You put up really big fences and really big trees, and you don't go over there. They don't go over here. We've actually lived there for close to two years. I know none of my neighbors. Don't judge me. I'm an extrovert at church, but at home, I don't know who you is. Anyway, 
But on our side of our house, we have what they call evergreens. And what they do is they stay in bloom, or, or it's not literally leaves, it's more needles that they have on these trees, but they stay full no matter the weather. And you know I'm a preacher, I look at things and I just said, okay, there's a message somewhere in this. Not all trees are built the same. Some trees, it depends on the environment whether they will bloom or not. Some trees, it depends on the environment whether they will produce leaves or not, whether they'll give you foliage, whether they'll give you coverage or not. Other trees, it don't matter when it comes. It could be hot, it could be cold, it could be up, it could be down, it could be a good economy, it could be a bad economy, it could be this president, it could be that president, you could be for me, you can be against me, I'm a bloom no matter what season I'm in. Almost sounds like scripture, the Bible says in Psalm chapter 1 that there's certain type of people who live off of the word of God. And it says they shall be like trees planted. Verse 3 says this, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And what, somebody say whatever. Whatever he does shall. Today's message is entitled, it's never not my season. It's, it's never it's never, I know, I know it's a double negative. I know it's not good English, but hear me. It's good preaching. We, we, we've, we've gotten into this mindset in church about it, it's my season. I'm, I'm waiting for my season to come. It, it's, about to, it's about to be my season. You, you, you talk to people, and, and maybe not even intentionally, but subconsciously, they're waiting for something in their life to change, to step into a whole new experience. Let, let me tell you, as soon as I graduate college, oh, it's my seat. I'm about to get my job. I'm about to move out. And, and, and I see this graduation as a mile marker of me to begin to live the life that I've always wanted to live. Or maybe that mile marker is when I get married or when I have kids or, or when I leave my company and start my own business or when I make my first million or when the kids finally move out or, or when I retire or whatever it may be. And, and if you're not careful, your life can be chasing a mile marker that is constantly moving. Anybody remember being 13? All you wanted to do was to be 16? Because when I turn 16, I get my driver's license. Then you get your driver's license, you realize you don't got no car, so that license means nothing. You can't wait to be 18 and get a car. You turn 18, you get a car, but you still live with your parents, so now you have a curfew. I can't wait to move out, so when I move out, I don't have a curfew. And you move out, and you realize when I moved out, I left their wallet behind. Now, now I'm broke. Bring back the curfew and the sponsor. This is... <laughs> And if you're not careful, you can spend your entire life chasing a mile marker, hear me Columbia, that doesn't exist. It's my season, it's my season, it's my season, my, my, my season is coming. In Daniel chapter 1, we find four Hebrew boys, but can I tell you something, it was not their season. 
Here it is, Israel had turned their back on God. They began to worship pagan idols and began to do things in their own strength. And we can learn from scripture, God does not need to curse you. Life stinks on its own. All he has to do is remove his hedge of protection from you and just let life life and see what happens. God didn't curse Israel. He just stepped back and said, fine, well, I'm going to stop protecting you. I'm going to stop covering. If you want to be by yourself, I'm going to let you be by yourself. And here comes Babylon, overthrows the kingdom. And here, it's such the enemy. The king took the most educated, the strongest, and the wisest and left the feeble. It has not changed. The enemy tries to get the strongest, the wisest, the most educated, the most gifted to do anything but serve God. In in, in the church world, we have these kind of, you know, undertones of, man, don't don't let any Christian go out to Hollywood because they're going to get turned out and lose their faith. Don't don't let any Christian go out to this place or that place. These these are evil. You know why they're evil places? Because God has stopped sending people that are believers and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to be in those spaces. So here it is. They take the captivities into bondage. Y'all, they're slaves, y'all. Their kingdom was overthrown. They are subjects to a different king. And next thing you know, they get selected to serve in the king's court. To sit next to the king's governors. They're given attendance to train them. They're put into university. They're educated and they're prepared, hear me, to be some of the most powerful people in the land. After all of this training, when they decide they're going to do it God's way instead of the world's way, they're found to be 10 times better than anybody else in the land, and they select Daniel to be the governor of governors, number three to the king himself. Now just ask yourself this question, how does a slave become a number three in a nation? How does a slave become educated with the best, distinguish themselves beyond the best, and are used by an enemy to be a blessing where they are? Unless God is in the business of blessing you wherever you are, no matter what season of life you're in, whether you're up or whether you're down, whether you're over or whether you're under, can I help you out? We serve a God that lives outside of time and he lives outside of seasons. And he's not waiting for your season to come to be able to do supernatural things in your life. It's always your season. If I am a follower of God, I am not waiting for the moon to turn, the sun to come, or May to turn into June. I know who my God is, and because of that, his favor is always on me. Over the next few weeks, I have a message entitled for you, Marching Orders. Marching Orders. And hear me, believers, there's an assignment that God has for you. And it's not waiting for two weeks, two months, or two years from now. It is right now. First thought is this. Write this down. Write this down. Survival is not destiny. Survival is not destiny. When I think about somebody being captured, when I think about somebody being dragged off to a kingdom that is not their kingdom, I'm not thinking about their captors putting them in a university. 
I'm not thinking about their captors educating them and feeding them and giving them strength and conditioning and preparing them to rule in that captured land. When I think of being captured, I think I got to live through this. First of all, I got to survive. I've got family back. I've got to make sure I live through this. And then after I'm sure that I'm going to live through this, I got to figure out how do I escape this? How do I get out of this situation? And then after I get out of this situation, I've got to figure out how do I rebuild my city that was destroyed? I'm trying to survive. I'm trying to escape. And then I'm trying to rebuild. So many of us, We're stuck in survival mode. I just got to make it through this. I've just got to make sure that this sickness doesn't take me out. I've just got to make sure that this financial hardship doesn't take me out. I've just got to make sure that this relational difficulty doesn't take me out. I've got to survive this, and then I've got to escape. I've got to figure out how I never get myself in this situation again. And then after I escape, now my whole obsession is I've got to rebuild. I want to build the life that I've always wanted. Now that I escape that relationship or escape that job or escape that financial hardship, I want to build finances where I can make my own decisions and do what I own want to do. Or I want to build a relationship or whatever it may be. And, and, and here's what we do, because we, we're Christians, we throw a Bible on it. <laughs> You, you, you listen, I finally got it out, and I, I've got great things ahead of me, because the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, I'm not making fun of y'all, because this is my favorite verse in the scripture. And as I was reading this verse this week and preparing for this message, the Holy Spirit says, Stephen, stop reading the verse and read the chapter. I don't want to read the chapter. I just want to read the verse. He said, no, start at the beginning. Hear me. You've got to make sure as you look at Scripture that you look at it in context. Because if you miss the context, you come up with a pretext. In other words, what it did not say. What Jeremiah 29, 11 says, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. What did Jeremiah 29, verse 1 say? This is the text of the letter from the prophet Jeremiah, sent from, hear me, from Jerusalem to the surviving elders, watch this, among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people, here comes that name, Nebuchadnezzar, had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. All right, Bible scholars read the Bible 29 times, three different translations. I know my word. Can I give you some Bible trivia? Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Did you know that was written by the prophet Jeremiah to Daniel and the rest of the captives? that were in captivity. If you were in captivity and you got a letter from a prophet, I'm not talking about you, I'm just talking about me. You more say that letter needs to say one thing. 
I'm about to come get you. I got, I got, I got no time for anything else in that letter other than get me out of here. When? Now. I don't hear about no hope in the future. Now. And what blows my mind is this passage that I love and God has a plan for me to give me hope and a future. The plan that he has for me is in my captivity. The, the hope and the future and the blessings and the prosperity isn't in some season far away when I get out of this situation, when my health comes back, when my money is right, when my life is the way that I want it to be. It is right here and now that God has a plan and a purpose and a hope and a future. And some of us are waiting for something in the future. And God is saying, I'm not talking about your future. I'm talking about your right now. I want to do something in your right. Before I fix the marriage, I want to use you right now. Before your money is right, I want to use you right now. Before your body is fully healed, I want to use you right now. Here it is in captivity. God is promoting them. Look, 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 look what it says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 17. It says, as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and all dreams. In their captivity, God was anointing them. In their captivity, the supernatural hand of God was on their life. I know God's going to take you out of what you're in, and he's going to bring the promises of his word to pass in your life. But until he does, can you ask him to anoint you where you are instead of where you want to be? Can you ask him, God, I don't want to be here, and the second you let me out of here, I'm out. But until then, God, use me and give me favor and open doors and give me supernatural ability for everything that I put my hand to do. One of the things I try so hard to do is not preach stuff that sounds good, but it's hard to live. Because it's really easy to stand up here and to say, in the midst of the storm, he's still going to bless you. Pastor, you don't have to go to chemo tomorrow. Pastor, you're not going back to this loveless marriage that I'm going back home to. You're not going back to this job, or you're not going back to this, or you're not going back to that, and it's all cute to say God's going to use me where I am, but the storm that I'm in, the bondage that I'm in, the captivity that I am in is so overwhelming, I don't even have eyes to see anything else. My oldest daughter, her name is Zoe, she's seven years old now, but back when she was about three, four years old, we, we lived next to a gas station that had one of those drive through car washes. So I'd go by like once a week or whatever it may be and go through the car wash. And, 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 and I don't know if three-year-olds can have a heart attack, but if they could, she would have. Because as we're driving around the car wash, all she sees is this big machine eating cars. And she doesn't see any car coming out on the other side. She said, Daddy, that doesn't look safe. And we would pull up and we'd pull around to that car wash. And as soon as we got in line, she would just start losing her marbles. Just, I mean, screaming, yeah, no, 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 no. And I'm like, baby, I love you, but this car got to get clean. So you're going to be all right back there. And we start pulling in and I'm like, Zoe, we're good. She's screaming, she's screaming. I'm like, Zoe, we're good. It would get, one child abuse, I would yell at her, Zoe. 
Yes. And I'm driving the car through the car wash, and I got my hand in the back on her leg, and I'm like, Zoe, I'm here. Zoe, you're not going through this by yourself. I, I could understand if you were going through by yourself and you didn't know what to expect and you didn't know what was coming and, and you didn't know if you could control it, but your father is in this car with you. Do you really think your father will let you go through something? And I would be in there if we were both coming out on the other side. Daniel chapter 3 verse 24 says this, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. He said, look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. How do I ask God to use me when my storm ain't over, when my battle is still raging? Find peace in the fact he's in the fire with you. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And hear me, if he's in it, you're going to get through it. I, I, you know, listen, it's easy to judge the men and women in Scripture because we weren't there. When, when you're sitting back, you're like, Peter, come on now. Got to get out of the boat. Walk on water. Duh, it's Jesus. <laughs> Question for you, especially those of you who can't swim. If some random carpenter came walking up to you on the water and said, get out the boat, would you? It's like one of those, your mama, like, you know, if your friends jump off a bridge, would you? No. I judge the disciples. I judge them all the time, and we'll settle it up in heaven. But especially that one moment when they're in the boat, and the storm is raging, and the boat is sinking, and Jesus is asleep in the boat. They wake Jesus up, and they say, don't you care that, that we're dying? No. I'm looking at them. I ain't in the boat, y'all. I've never been in a boat in the storm. I wouldn't be in a boat in the storm. That ain't my deal. <laughs> I'm looking at these disciples reading my Bible like, where's your faith? <laughs> if I was in the boat, I wouldn't have been worried. <laughs> Why? Because Jesus is not the lamb who drowned in a boating accident. When God the Father says, behold, Jesus, the lamb who drowned in a storm before he ever got to the cross. No, no, no. Jesus had purpose on his life. He had destiny on his life. His destiny was to go to the cross and arise again on the third day for my sin and for your sin. So when they were in the middle of the storm, they should have known just because this ain't how Jesus is going to go out and Jesus is in my boat with me, that means I ain't going out like this either. I just got to stay close to Jesus and I'm sure I'm going to make it to the end of this. How do I sit in a storm and not let the storm become my obsession? When you realize, no, Jesus is in this marriage with me. Jesus is going through chemo with me. Jesus is raising this teenager with me. I'm going to make it. They ain't going to kill them. They ain't going to kill me. We going <laughs> If Jesus is in the fire with me, it means I'm going to get through. And if it means I'm going to get through, it means I don't have to obsess only on my problems. I can actually look around and say, God, what is it that you're anointing me for? 
in this season. Second thought is this, second thought is this. Now, don't throw the point up. I'm going to get in trouble for this. And know y'all love me. You may not love me after this. Tell me God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. All right, point number two. Here we go. World changing doesn't happen in church. Y'all all right? You still love me? If you don't, that's okay. My wife loves me, I think. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, 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 church. And somebody sang. You got goosebumps down your spine. Hey, I asked the anointing. They're, they're anointed. You, you, you ever heard somebody preach? And I, I, I mean, they're pre, the room. I remember I was in a room one time. It's like a thousand preachers. And it was Bishop Jakes teaching us how to preach. And this joker started in the book of Genesis. <laughs> then he went to Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And Jesus was this and Daniel and he was this and Ezekiel. And, and he said, sit down, sit down. I couldn't sit down. And he said, sit down. I couldn't sit down. And I'm crying. I'm screaming. I'm yelling. I'm running. I mean, the presence of God in that place blew my mind. The problem is we relegate anointing to platform and church. God anoints singers. He does not anoint doctors. God anoints preachers. He does not anoint attorneys. Come on now. God anoints musicians to prophesy from their instruments. God does not anoint school teachers that are going into a new semester. You don't, you don't need the anointing for the secular. You only need the anointing for the platform. Says it where in scripture? Because when I read my Bible in Daniel chapter 1, it says God anointed them for literature and for wisdom and for understanding and for, for solving a pagan king's problem. Can, can I tell you what the purpose of the church is? The purpose of the church is to equip you, to teach you how to walk in the anointing of God so that you can leave here and go be the people of Ain't nobody in the room you're sitting in need the Jesus you got. We already got him. Come on now. It, 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 it's that coworker. It's that contractor. It's that supervisor. It's that government official. It's that person who does not know the God that you know that needs the God that you have. I'm going to get in trouble. We'll clean it up next service. Is that okay? And they don't want to hear about your Jesus if you're not good at your job. Is that too much? Am I good? Am I doing all right? Don't tell me that your Jesus is transformative and he fills you with the power of God and you show up 10 minutes late and leave 10 minutes early and take an hour, 20 minute lunch break instead of 45 like you're supposed to and you do just enough not to get fired and you say, no, 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 I don't want that promotion. It might be too much responsibility for me. I like my work-life balance the way that it is and I just need to, do I have to come into the office? I like... I'm having more fun than y'all are. Can I go a little further? Don't be passing out no Welcome Home Sunday invite card after a poor review. 
here's your 90-day notice. We need you to improve your performance. Oh. By the way, my church is having an invite. <laughs> it don't work that way. And what has... We've relegated our faith to an hour 15 minutes on a Sunday around people who already have the power that we have and don't need the Jesus that's on us, not realizing that this is the moment where the anointing is coming, where the confidence is coming, where the wisdom is coming, where the business ideas are coming, so I can walk out of here and represent my God to a world that so desperately needs him. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Some of your good works are to be preachers. Some of your good works are to be worship leaders, but not most of you. Most of you, your good work is to be a police chief and a principal at a school and an entrepreneur and a developer and a council person and a governor and a mayor and an attorney and a doctor and a nurse. God has anointed you for good works where you are. I'll go into it over the next few weeks, but hear me. I need some people at Union Church that say God has called me to be a council person in the state. God has called me to, to be an officer in the military. God, God has called me to be an assistant principal, a, a principal. I, I feel like that is the call of God on my... Why would God call people to secular jobs and then anoint them to do it? Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says this. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? Not knowing that the... goodness of God leads people from turning and doing things their own way to turning to God. It, it's the goodness of God. Come on now. It's not you browbeating them over their wretched life that turns them to Jesus. It's not you saying, I'm better than you. It's the goodness of God on your life. That makes people around you say, hey, I want what you have. How do I get what you have? Did you get it from University of Maryland? Did you get it from Howard? Did you get it from your MBA? Where, 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 where did you get it from? Well, I went to Maryland, and they actually tried to take it. They didn't give it to me. <laughs> came out barely with my salvation. <laughs> no, what, what you see is not education. What you see is not a fraternity or sorority. What you see is not hard work and discipline. Yes, I work hard. Yes, I'm disciplined. But what you see is the supernatural favor and anointing of God on my life. I don't even know how I won that case. I studied. I put my effort in. But when I was in that moment, I just had words coming out of my mouth that weren't a part of my study. And I just saw favor coming out of that moment that wasn't my natural effort. The only way I can describe it was the anointing of God is on my life. God's anointed you for where you are to bless you and prosper you where you are so the people around you begin to ask, what do you have that I don't have? Last thing is this, write this down. You, you, you got to understand, church, 
It will be a battle everywhere you turn. Daniel chapter 6 verse 3 says this. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps. Watch this. Because I'm an excellent spirit was in him. Hear me. Excellence ain't just effort. Excellence is I've got almighty God inside of me. And because almighty God is inside of me, I, I, I can't put mediocre work outside of me. Because it contradicts what's inside of me. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Watch this. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not find fault, no charge or fault, because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Here's what happened. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, they began to prosper. They began to thrive. They began to get promoted. They began to increase, and the people got mad. They got upset. They got frustrated. They said, it's not fair. We're working just as hard, but they're getting different efforts. We've got to find a way to take them out. They couldn't take them out based on their work ethic. They couldn't take them out based on their performance. They couldn't take them out based on their... The only thing they had on Daniel was, oh, they, they worshiped this God. Let, let's... Let, Let's try to make it a law that you can't worship your God at work. Let, let, let's try to take God out of the school and out of the education system and out of politics. And let, let, the only thing we got you for is God. They said, well, that's, you got me because I'm going to pray because I know what got me this far and I'm not about to abandon what got me this far just because you don't like that I got further than you. So they got thrown into a fiery furnace and here it is Jesus in the fiery furnace and not one person was burned in that furnace. And then they took Daniel. You know the story. They threw him in the lion's den and they threw him in the lion's den for praying and worshiping God and God came and shut the mouth of the lion. Here's what you've got to understand. If I'm walking in the anointing of God, the purpose of God, attacks are going to come. Attacks? We, we have believers that are shocked when the enemy attacks. I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's not fair, it's not fair. I showed up to prayer, I, I tithe, I love God. I don't do, you're being attacked because you're being effective. You're being attacked because God's hand is on your life. You're being attacked because you are snatching souls out of hell and showing them of a God that loves them and knows them and has a purpose for their life. It's par for the course. You should be worried if you're not being attacked. That means you ain't doing nothing. Matthew chapter 11 verse 12 says this, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Hear me, Union Church, God is looking to raise up some violent believers at this church that says, I'm not going to sit back and cry. I'm not going to sit back and, and moan about what's not going right in my life. I'm on the offense to establish his kingdom everywhere I go. His presence is for me. His hand is on me and God is going to use me in such a time as this. I'm going to end with a thought, not a shout. You're a soldier who acts like a civilian. God says it's time to stop being a civilian. 
And I realize I've called you to be a soldier. Second Timothy chapter one, verse two says this. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, a trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in, what's that word? Oh no, no, get me out of this. Paul said, no, join me in it. Like a good, what's that word? Soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled, ensnared, caught up with civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. The Bible says that Jesus is the general. He is the Lord of angel army. Hear me, there's a call of God on your life. And it's not just to get your money right. There's a call of God on your life, and it's not just to have peace in your marriage and have godly kids. That's part of it, but that's not the call. The call of God on your life is that you would be anointed in the marketplace where he has sent you, that your life would be a representation to the world like Mordecai. This is what it looks like when God favors somebody, and you can see God do the same thing in your life. Hear me, you are a soldier, not a civilian. You've got marching orders. Next week, I'm going to teach you how to fight because the Bible says we don't fight as the world fights. We don't fight with backstabbing and manipulation. We have supernatural weapons for the tearing down what the enemy tries in our life. But you first have to accept the fact that, hey, God's called me. He's anointed me. Now, I'm not waiting for my season to change. He's going to do great things in this moment. Come on, somebody shout amen in this place. Father God, we're grateful. God, we're thankful. God, that you're with us in the fire. God, some of us may have gotten thrown into lion's dens of cancer or sickness or whatever it may be, but you're the God who shuts the lion's mouth. God, we pray in the middle of this storm that you'd increase us, that you'd anoint us, that you'd prepare us. Just where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this time, to make this message personal to you. Maybe you're in here, and if you'd be honest, you would say, Pastor, I can't say that Jesus is in this fire with me. I can't say that Jesus is in this storm with me, if I'd be honest with you. I I believe in Jesus. I've just never asked him to be a part of my life. Or maybe you're new to this whole church environment and you didn't even know that, that he knows you and cares anything other than whether you sin or not. Hear me. He knows you. He loves you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. He wants to be a part of your life, but the decision is yours. So wherever you find yourself, whether you're watching online or in one of our rooms, if you say, Pastor, I, I need Jesus in my life. I'm tired of doing this by myself. I, I don't even know all that means. I just know I don't want it. One more step by myself. Well, if that's you, this moment is for you. I'm not going to have you stand up or come up front, but right where you are, if you say, I need Jesus, just in your heart, pray, pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for seeing me, for knowing me, for having a purpose for my life. Thank you for dying on the cross, for shedding your blood so that all of my sins, all of my mistakes can be erased. In this moment, I surrender I give you all of me. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and use me for your glory. 
In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Can you celebrate for every single person?